Um, and today preaching in Ben's um, spot will be Chan Wood. He's from Mansfield. He's a lead pastor at Cross Point Church. Would you guys give him a warm welcome? Hey, Rockingham, thanks so much for the opportunity to speak with you to share the good news of God today. I am so excited for Ben and Crystal. It's those, for those of us that have been there, this is, the, this is so much fun to just lay there and let the baby be brought to you, to get some sleep and do all those things. They have no idea what's coming. <laughs> they really, really don't. It's all good. But then, <laughs> wow, they have no idea what's coming. And uh, you, you get to bless them with all that good news. You really, really do. It's, it's great. It's good. Um, uh, ben enjoyed his last night of good sleep, probably Friday. And I just, you can remind him of that, and, and Crystal as well. It, it, pretty soon he's going to be complaining. When he shows up that first Sunday to preach, and the, the, the bags below his eyes are somewhere down around his hips, you'll know that he hasn't slept really, really well. He's going to complain about that. And that's, and that's normal. We, we get to do that. But then there are those people that you and I know that complain all the time. Do you, do you know anybody like that? No pointing. No pointing. Right. Do you, do you, do you know that, that glass half empty person, that critical person who can never really find the good and no matter what's going on? I read about a man who was arrested uh, for fraudulent obstruction of business. He made over 24,000 complaint calls to his local phone company. He was angry for a whole bunch of reasons, uh, but according to police, he averaged 33 complaint calls per day. And one week, he had more than 400 complaining phone calls to the phone company. Author Jeff Mannion says this about complaining. The heart drifts toward complaint as if it's a gravitational pull. After all, complaint seems a reasonable response to a sequence of disappointing events. Generally, you don't have to extend an invitation for complaint to show up. It arrives as an uninvited guest. You return home from yet another frustrating day to discover that a complaint has moved into your guest room, unpacked its luggage, started to do laundry, and is going through your fridge. Even as you seek to dislodge complaint... As you move your the complaints bags to the curb and change your door locks, it crawls back through the guest room window. Complaint resists eviction. In his message from week one, Ben, I thought, had a great line, a summary of the challenge that faced Moses as he began what would seem to you and me to be an impossible task. He said that Pharaoh hated God's people, Pharaoh hated uh, God's promises, and hated God's plan. This morning, we're going to take a, a quick look into Exodus chapters 5 and 6 this morning. And as you've read those chapters, you know, if you're even familiar with the story, you know that that hatred is very very real. But what's also becoming really obvious is that Moses himself is not too keen on God's people and God's plan. That becomes very evident really, really quick. God let Moses know that he had heard the cries 
of his people. And God let Moses know of uh, his plan and reminded Moses of his promises. He was going to use Moses to lead God's people out of generations of slavery. The problem, as you know, was Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't like the God that Moses was talking about. And thus, he didn't like God's plan or certainly not God's people. When Moses demands that Pharaoh let his people go, Pharaoh's response is, oh, you, you know what's coming. Oh, 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 really? So you think that God's in charge of this people? Well, how about I remind you who actually is in charge around here? How about I remind you who these people actually belong to you? No, no, no. He's not their God. I am. And how about I remind them that I'm their God by letting them do their work in much harsher conditions? How about that? How about they do everything and not make, uh, and make bricks without using straw? How about they do that? That's fun. Now the people are complaining to Moses, and Moses is complaining to God. Let's listen. Exodus chapter 5, starting with the 22nd verse. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your people? Is this why you sent me here? I went to the king and said what you told me to say. But ever since that time, he's made the people suffer. And you have done nothing to save them. Subtle. Now, I'm not saying Moses is making 33 calls a day here, but he's certainly not winning any awards for theological diplomacy at all. Moses is complaining, and Moses is complaining to God himself. Some of you are probably thinking right now, he, he can't do that. Some of you are probably thinking, I wish I could do that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever wanted to complain to God? Anybody ever not necessarily had a bad day, but a really bad day? And that followed the bad week or the bad month. It's easy to want to complain when everything seems to be going wrong. It's just piling up. And you want to look up and you, say, you want to say to God, is this really the best you've got? Is this your plan to take care of me, God? Is this your plan to help me, to rescue me, to redeem me, really? Because it really doesn't feel like it right now. Ever wanted to do that? On May 25th, 1979, Dennis Waitley was desperately trying to catch a flight from Chicago to LA. He was running late to his gate. I don't know about you, but I've done that more than a few times. And when he finally did get to the gate, the airplane door had closed and they weren't letting anybody on the airplane. He argued with the gate clerk right there, no avail. The plane is rolling back. It's, it's getting ready to go down the runway. He, he's frustrated. He's out of breath. He's out of patience. He goes to the ticket counter, the American Airlines ticket counter. He's waiting in line. He's rehearsing his argument. And then suddenly over the public address system, there's an announcement that uh, American Airlines flight 191 leaving Chicago to L.A. has crashed. 271 people are killed. It's the worst airline disaster in U.S. history. Needless to say, he didn't complain anymore. 
And he didn't even redeem his ticket. He didn't turn his ticket back in. He actually kept his paper ticket. It was 1979. Paper tickets. <laughs> he kept that paper ticket. He framed it and he put it up on his office wall so that anytime he thought he was having a bad day, he merely had to glance at that frame on the wall and remember that he had been delivered. What I want to do with you this morning is give you a proverbial paper ticket. I want to give you a ticket that you can either metaphorically or literally frame and put on your wall so that you can remind yourself and anyone who wants uh, to listen to your story that you have been delivered. The uh, biblical principle of deliverance is powerful and quite possibly is the greatest hope that we have next to the cross itself. The problem with the word deliverance, though, when I say that, if you're 50 and older and you hear the word deliverance, you're thinking of Ned Beatty and spandex. You are, all right? And if you're under 40, what you're doing right now is you're Googling Ned Beatty. And, but trust don't Google spandex. Just don't. Just, just don't. Just trust me on that. Exodus chapter 6 gives God's response now to Moses' complaint, and it helps you and me remember that God delivers you and me, and he shares with us how that's all possible. Let's look along. Exodus chapter 6, starting with the sixth verse. God says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore and uplifted uh, with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. God delivers you and me. First of all, I want you to remember, remember, this is the ticket on your wall. God delivers you and me because of who God is. I want you to remember who God is. Now, when I say it, a guy like me on a day like this, in a place like this, when I say that, I know that that, that sounds so obvious. You didn't need to come here for me to tell you this, but I want you to understand at this moment, speaking to these people, this is not so obvious. It's been over 400 years since the people of God have heard from God. It's not that obvious uh, to them. And frankly, it's a huge shift. Before this time, God has spoken to one man, to one man at a time, to one man at a time in one generation at a time. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now God is speaking to an entire nation. At one time he spoke with one person, and now he's speaking with an entire nation. It's different, and it's been a while. Who are you? God, who? What are you saying? 
For generations, they'd heard about the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. They'd heard the stories. They vaguely remember something about Abraham and Sarah and Jacob. Those things are starting to come back as Moses brings his message. These are legends of a time before whips and sweat and pain and nothing to hope for except an early death. Moses arrives with a story about a God that some might have a distant memory of. And the first thing that happens when Moses brings the news of this God is their life gets harder. It's not a blessing. It's not hope. It's hardship. Instead of the God of hope, Moses has brought a God of burden. And if this God is so great, where has he been all this time? I mean, if he loves us so much, how come we haven't heard of him? How come he hasn't done anything for generations? I have a friend who has lived in generational addiction for a long, long time. Her family memory does not know a time without alcohol and abuse. When my friend started coming to church, she had a hard time with the God of the church people. She really did. To her, it seemed the God of the church people only helped those who were nice, only helped those who made all the right decisions, only helped those who had money. That was her perspective on the God of the church people. She thought the God of the church was more interested in judging her family than saving them. I could understand why she would think that, though. Her her dysfunctional family had a reputation in the community, and when she began to come to church, some would say, you? If the God I was talking to her about was so good and wanted to help, She wanted to know where he'd been all these years. How come she was just hearing about him now? It's hard for people who are in so much pain to accept the good news of a distant God. Did you hear me? It's hard for people who are in so much pain to hear the news of a God that they think has been away for a long, long time. It's really, really hard. Some people's only memory of God is the God of generations past, the God of their grandparents. That was a long time ago. That was 10 failures ago. That was before debt. That was before divorce. That was before miscarriage and mistakes. That was a long time time ago. For some, generational slavery, slavery to pain, slavery to dysfunction, slavery to poverty and to brokenness is the only reality that they know. And the God of deliverance is almost unreal to them. Unreal to them. This is, there's no personal connection with this God that Moses 
is talking to them about. That's why when God responds to Moses' complaint, there is patience. Now, don't mistake, God is authoritative, but he is patient with them. Asking people to remember a God they hadn't heard from in over 400 years is a stretch. Asking you to remember God when you feel like he's been far away for a long time is hard. And you know people like that. You live next door to people like that. You work with people like that. Shop with people like that. That's why what happens, is, what happens next is really, really important. God was able to deliver them because of who he is, but God is also able to deliver you and me. Here's what I want you to remember. Because of who God is to you. Before God was distant, now he's personal to them. Personal. He says in verse 7, I am your God. God isn't indifferent or disconnected as many people think he is. He is there. He is present. Multiple times before Moses uh, brings this message to Pharaoh, he shares with the people. He says, I see you. I hear you. I've heard your misery. I've seen your pain. The pronouns jump off the page. Identifying you as a target for God's redemption, aid, comfort, and blessing. When someone sees your pain, they validate you. When someone sees your pain, they validate you. Have you ever tried to tell someone about a bad day that you've had and they're not listening? How well does that go? Let's make this real. Have you ever poured your heart out to God and all you hear is silence? It happens sometimes. It does. I want to encourage you, though, to do a little research this coming week. Just, and it won't take long. It'll take you maybe 15 minutes. When you go home this week, when you've got a free moment, when you're sitting down in the morning having a cup of coffee or just kind of laying down at night, open up your Bible and open up your Bible to the book of Psalms. Just skim over the book of Psalms, paying attention to the general attitudes that the chapters present. On many occasions, you'll see section uh, uh, next to section or two chapters right next to one another. One section or chapter has a long complaint to God. Uh, it says, I called on you, I prayed to you, I and I, I pray all night long to you, but God, you're not answering. The very next section, or sometimes the very next chapter, God, I called to you and you answered me. Psalm 64, verse 1, hear me, O God, as I voice my complaint. Psalm 65, verse 5, you answer us with deeds of righteousness. And one that I know many of you are familiar with, the first verse of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first verse of Psalm 23, the Lord is my 
shepherd. Yeah, you know this. You know how it feels. My point is many of the Psalms are complaints to God and God answers those complaints. He's patient with you. He knows that you don't know tomorrow, let alone this afternoon. He understands that. He understands that sometimes the best you can do is complain. Because at least complaining isn't quitting. He understands that. Have you guys ever seen the television show Undercover Boss? The premise is there is a, there's a company, a business somewhere, and the boss goes undercover. He's given a, disi- a disguise by the show itself, and he just kind of comes in as a, a first-day employee. He's learning from his employees. He's observing everything that's going on in the hopes that he would learn more about his people and about his company and make his company his or her company, better. Inevitably, the, owner, the owners that are involved discover that uh, things about their team members that they've never known before. They see them working harder than they should have to while enduring some really difficult crises in their personal lives. The best part of the show is the end when the owners reveal themselves. It's really, really good. The owner not only tells the employees how good of a job they've been doing, but he tells them that he sees them and he hears them. He heard the single mom who is struggling to care for her child and her adult parents. He heard the father who's still grieving the loss of his son. He saw when that manager had to deal with the angry, impatient, sometimes even violent customer, and not the only one that day. He saw when the employee was changing clothes in his car to get ready for work, realizing that the employee was homeless. If you and I, with our weakness, with our brokenness, can understand something like that, and we can recognize that, how much more do you think God is able to hear you and see you and understand you? God hears your prayers. God hears your prayers. He knows what you're going through. And he is there to deliver you. There are times when you have no more words, when your heart's grown so much that the Spirit himself understands. He literally translates your groans into words, speaking on behalf of you before God. That's when we've had all we can take. There's just no more left in you and me. It seems like that when those who mock God get away with everything and those who follow God walk away with nothing. God understands that. He knows that. Who is God to you? He's the God who sees you, the God who hears you. And because of that, he's the God who can deliver you. Day in and day out. It's hard to remember who God is when he seems to be so distant 
But when you know he sees you in your pain, when you know he's listening to your prayers, you begin to be encouraged because you know, this is really important, you're not alone. People who are in pain tend to think they're all by themselves, that no one else has ever experienced the things that they've experienced. But that's not true. And you know it, and I knew it. And God is there with you and me. That's when you begin to see God acting, taking, a, uh, taking action to relieve your pain, to answer your prayers, to do those things. When you see God doing those kinds of things, you know God can deliver you because of what God does for you. That's the last thing I want you to remember. Now, not only do I want you to remember who God is and who God is to you, but I want you to remember what God does for you. He says, you will know I am the Lord, your God. In Shan's paraphrase version, when you see what I'm getting ready to do, you're going to know it's me. When you see what I'm going to do for you, you're going to know it's me because I'm the only one that can do the stuff that's getting ready to happen. That's really important. And it's not just to free them, to redeem them, to rescue them. It's to, not just to take them out of Egypt, but to take them to a place that they've been waiting to go for for a long time. You see, deliverance isn't just to get you out of your pain. Deliverance is also to take you a place of health. Frankly, that's one of the reasons why you and I don't experience the best aspects of deliverance. Because we're not patient enough to let God take us to where he ultimately wants to go. Sometimes we're only happy when the trouble has stopped. We're not patient enough to get to the better place that God is waiting to take us to. Divine deliverance isn't just the removal of pain It's the arrival of health. You're no longer in the fire. Now the fire is in you. You see? That's what divine deliverance really is. Divine deliverance is about life change. Life change. Not suspension of it. Not suspension of an unhealthy life. But the movement and sustaining of a healthy life. Sometimes people stay with God long enough to get out of trouble, but not long enough to find peace. They pop in for a dose of mercy, but can't wait around long enough for grace. That's not deliverance. That's a week off in Egypt. That's what that is. Delivered people are changed people. People who haven't been delivered talk about a God they do not know. People, uh, delivered people talk about a God they do know. They talk about a God uh, that they know and know that God knows them. Delivered people talk like that. They live like that. People who haven't been delivered talk about a God that they not only do not know, they talk about a God that hasn't delivered. It's important. Delivered people talk about what they've seen God do in their lives. When you think about all that God has done for you. Did you ever do this? Did you, after you've taken a look at the Psalms and you've skimmed through them this week, just take out a notepad and just start writing down. I mean, you can just take your phone and just start verbally texting in, doing that kind of stuff. 
all that God has done. And talk to your, talk to your wife, talk to your husband, talk to your kids. They'll remind you of all that God has done for you, all that he's forgiven, the grace that he's blessed you with, the mercy he's covered with you. It's actually, when you start doing that, you know what happens? It's really hard to complain. Really hard to complain. I know that it's silly to believe that having been delivered, that your life is gonna be rainbows and unicorns and everything's gonna be wonderful and sweet. I, that's not real. I understand that. There will be days that we complain. Sometimes we complain about the petty things and sometimes there's so much that we don't have the words. I get that. But I wanna encourage you, you who have been redeemed, you have, who have been freed, you who have been delivered, you are in the presence of those who are waiting to see God do in their lives what he's done in your life. And they can't wait to hear about a God who really does what he says he's gonna do. You have the testimony for that. You are the ones who have come out of Egypt, who have lived in the promised land, and people think that that's just a pipe dream. And you can say, God who does this. I know a God who delivers. Let me tell you about him. That's the ticket that you need to be hanging on your wall. Deliverance from misery and horror, uh, the horror of slavery, is an example that Paul used when writing to, to the believers of the church in Rome. He talked about the misery and the horror of being a slave to sin, to having chains of guilt and shame. And he gave that message, and he talked about a deliverer named Jesus. Who is God to you? It's the one who says, I will free you. I will redeem you. I will be your savior. And that sounds a whole lot better than 33 phone calls a day to a phone company that's not listening. I think that's worth actually making a phone call to somebody about, don't you? Instead of being arrested for fraudulent obstruction of business, you can testify to the abundant restoration of your happiness in Jesus. God, thank you so much for being patient with us. God, there's so much that we fuss about. There's so many things that we complain about. Most of it isn't worth it. But a lot of it is, God. There are things that we just don't understand. We don't understand why people get sick. We don't understand why, why things break down. We don't understand why, why people get into arguments. Sometimes we do, but lots of times, God, we don't. And we just need your, your, your deliverance. We need your encouragement. We need your blessing. God, you have blessed us. Bless us again. You have encouraged us, God. Encourage us again. And when we see those things, Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to tell someone about the God who delivers. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.